if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that the past is gone. We're creating this new future, and the future will probably include parts of the past, but there's many things that we've learned in our digital reality that we're going to keep, and we're reshaping. And as I move forward in the future, and as we all get vaccinated, and as we get back into a more normal society or a new normal society, I will take some of these lessons with me, and I will recreate myself again. Look, I realize I'm not the same person I was 22 years ago, but I am here right now. So I just realize, okay, what can I do right now? How do I come together right now in this moment as a leader? And meditation helps me to answer that key question. Hello, everyone. I'm Arianna Huffington, and this is What I've Learned. On this episode, Mark Benioff on how the pandemic changed the way he runs Salesforce. This podcast is about the lessons we've all learned during the pandemic, but I've been learning from Mark ever since I met him over a decade ago. Mark is a genuine trailblazer, which was the very appropriate title of his best-selling book. Since founding Salesforce, he has been single-minded about using business as a platform for change. He was one of the first CEOs to come out as a meditator and talk about the impact it's had on his business decisions. He has said that a workplace should reflect our values, and he's lived up to that at Salesforce, which has a meditation room on every floor of its buildings. Mark, my Greek compatriot Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And you have always relentlessly examined your life, your beliefs, your actions, both professionally and personally. And we've had this unprecedented year. So what's the biggest lesson you learned about yourself during the past year? Well, Ariane, I want to thank you because you have been such a mentor to me. And you have inspired me to take my own spiritual development even more deeply, and especially my meditation practice. You know, Ariana, that in the beginner's mind, we have every possibility, but in the expert's mind, there's few. I'm cultivating a beginner's mind, and that's become a huge part of my meditation practice every morning to try to wake up, refresh myself, to reconnect, to rejuvenate, to re-excite, re-energize. But I think we know that even beyond meditation, we have to do all the other things in our life to keep mental health. You know, yes, it's about spiritual life, but it's also, I need to work out too. And I also need to spend time with my family. And I need to work, by the way. All of those things are important. And when I do all of those things, I feel pretty good every day. And when I'm all of a sudden forgetting to do one of those things, I'm not. So that's what I've really learned. And I want to thank you because. You have taught me so many of those things, how to bring all of those parts of myself together. Well, Mark, you taught me so much. And going back to my book, Thrive, in 2014, when I wrote about you as one of the first CEOs, a real trailblazer, to come out and talk about meditation and the impact it has had, not just on your personal life, but on your business success. And that really changed the way people were willing to acknowledge that they're meditators or to try it because we are swimming in a culture that for many, many years saw meditation and sleep and recharging as kind of soft 
and warm and fuzzy and not for high achieving driven people like you. And you began to change that perception. You know, you've called business the biggest platform for change, but also business leaders are in many ways the biggest evangelists for change. And that's been very much part of your life. Has that changed during the pandemic? Well, you're right, Ariane. I've studied meditation and I've tried to work on my spiritual self quite a bit over the last several decades. And one of my teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, many people know him because he wrote a famous book called Being Peace. He had a stroke. And one of the things that was very powerful for me was that I invited him to come to San Francisco to get his rehabilitation done at the University of California in San Francisco. And he also moved into my house and brought 40 of his monastics with him. And all of a sudden, I was kind of at this height of my spiritual eccentricity because my whole house turned into, you know, this kind of uh, monastery. Every morning at 6.30 a.m., everyone is meditating and the bells are ringing. And it was an awakening of, oh, this is another lifestyle. Certainly not the lifestyle that I lead. And they came to me after those meditations and they said, well, now what can we do? Because, you know, our teacher is getting rehabilitation, but we need to do something with our knowledge. And so I sent them down to the company. And the first thing they did was they said, oh, we see you're building this new Salesforce tower. And I said, well, yes, I am. And they said, well, we have this really great idea for you. Just give us one floor and we're going to make that the quiet floor. And when you're on that floor, nobody's allowed to speak. And I said, well, that is really powerful. But I said, what if we did a meditation room, but on every floor? And so there was always an opportunity for everybody to be just a few steps away from silence and from reflection and from going within. And they agreed. And we did that. We put a meditation room on every floor, not just in San Francisco, but in every building we have worldwide. And we also brought teaching and acknowledgement and permission that it's okay to take time out to stop, to take a pause, to say, you know what? My mind is healthiest when I am also not working. And that idea, bringing that into our environment, has been very transformational for our employees. And it also reinforced to them, hey, they're in a new company, and these things are encouraged. And that was a powerful moment. Yes, game-changing. And I've had the privilege of seeing this monastic community, the Plum Village, at the last Dreamforce. And it's an incredible experience. You've described it beautifully in your book, talking about how anxiety disappears and a sense of timelessness takes hold and allowing these qualities that are kindness and empathy and compassion to emerge. But also I'm finding that that's the place in which I find creativity and my best ideas flourishing. And that's really what I'd love you to talk about, that it's not like either I'm doing these things for my soul or I'm leading an amazing company. The one reinforces the other. How does that work? Well, I think you're right again, Ariane, that my meditation practice is the spiritual and the referential integrity for my leadership. That is, of course, I am running a company that will do more than 25 and three quarters billion dollars this year in revenue. It has more than 60,000 employees. It has a $200 billion market cap. It's stressful. 
<laughs> and so, anyway, I built it over 22 years. So I do need a timeout, hopefully every morning, where I can take a few moments and just reconnect, to take that time to take a step back and to listen. And that concept of deep listening, to be able to really go within, to kind of hear what are you saying to yourself? Even? What are the messages, maybe in some cases, that need to just be put aside and say, you know what, I'm going to deal with that later. And I'm listening for the deeper message. I'm getting more connected to a deeper part of myself. I, I want to understand at that very deep core of who I really am, what I really want right now, what is really important to me right now, what is best for me right now, how do I become my best self, and also what should I stop doing You know, that's preventing me from being my best self right now. These are the questions I'm contemplating within, and I'm through that slowing down, calming down, becoming more peaceful, and trying to let go of the stress just associated with a crazy life. And I think that is a big opportunity for everyone, that we can all take that time. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that the past is gone. We're creating this new future, and the future will probably include parts of the past, but there's many things that we've learned in our digital reality that we're going to keep, and we're reshaping. I'm reshaping my company, Salesforce. I'm also reshaping myself, and I have new skills and tools as a leader. And as I move forward in the future, and as we all get vaccinated, and as we get back into a more normal society or a new normal society, I will take some of these lessons with me, and I will recreate myself again. Look, I realize I'm not the same person I was 22 years ago, but I am here right now. So I just realize, okay, what can I do right now? How do I come together right now in this moment as a leader? And meditation helps me to answer that key question. And so what are some of the biggest changes in yourself or in the way you want to run your company that emerged as a result of this pandemic year? I had to create a whole new way to run my company. And I think one of the key ways is something that we've worked so closely with you and your vision for the world will thrive. That is, we have to enable new skills for our employees. You've done a number of mental health lectures for our Being Well series. We've had to go public and help all of our customers regain their mental health. So if you go to YouTube, you'll find lots of videos and lots of interviews and lots of knowledge that we didn't have to put out as aggressively. Or we did it in our Dreamforce conference. Now we're having to do it online to help all of our customers. This is so important. So we have to enable important skills like that, like mental health skills. We also have to do a lot more communication. We have to really get people out of paralysis like they were at the beginning of the pandemic. Now we have to unlock them and to get them back and being you know, productive and successful and moving forward in their lives. And that can take many different forms. That can include maybe an all-hands call. We hadn't done one since we started the company. Now we're doing them every week. It could also include new kinds of staff meetings, which are all digital. It looks like the Brady Bunch. You know, we have them all on Zoom. And I'm also starting to do in-person meetings again through the magic of vaccines, through the magic of testing, through kind of creating my own NBA bubble, but I'm a Salesforce bubble. I can bring small groups of my employees back together. And I've noticed, oh, this is really important to get them unlocked because even in the digital reality that we're in, they don't really 
regain full health until they can all come back together. You know, built into our DNA is the need to come together as a family, as a group, as a company. And this is so important for us. So these are just some of the things that we're doing to kind of get to the next level. And so this hybrid future that you're creating, it really is going to affect your 60 floor Salesforce tower, the meditation rooms there that you are recreating now through all these different digital ways to communicate. So how do you see all that change happening? What do you see with all that you've created in terms of real estate? How do you see all that changing? The number one thing I'm telling my people is we need a new beginner's mind around all of that. The way that we had structured our offices must change. We're in a new world. And as we come into this new blend, well, I think that we will restructure our offices. We've learned how to work at home much more successfully than ever before. So here is my little pandemic operating model. I focus on participation and enablement. And when we talk about enablement, we talk about like being well together. And also like we've distributed 60 million pieces of personal protective equipment, PPE. I didn't even know what personal protective equipment was when this started 10 months ago. Now we are dealing with 300 hospitals. We're also training everyone. We're doing two new types of compensation. And we built contact training systems. We built a vaccine cloud. We found new ways to be relevant to our customers. And we created new kinds of practical plays that included like 1 million Zooms, all kinds of next generation things. So this was an unusual moment for us. You know, we created a new operating model. We also created a new vision for what our workforce will do when we come back. We're going to create a new Salesforce work environment. You've been in our offices. Some of the things you know about, like our Ohana floor, which is at the top of all of our towers, which is kind of space that we use and also the community uses when we're not using, that will still be there. But will we have as much real estate? No, we won't. In fact, one of the towers that we thought we were going to build, we're not going to build at all. We know we don't need as much anymore because our employees have these amazing new skills that we've enabled by using that model that I just showed you. It created incredible productivity and success for the company. But it also gave us the ability to move forward into a new world. As we exit the pandemic, we can come back into a new reality. And that's what we're thinking about. And that means we have to cultivate our beginner's mind when it comes to the most basic of all things, the office. And what you are demonstrating is what we all need more than anything. The ability to deal with uncertainty with less stress. Because uncertainty makes humans incredibly stressful and anxious. But you are embracing it and creating new relevant models for work, but also for home. I know how important your family is, your daughters, your amazing wife, Lynn. So how has your relationship with them changed now that you are together all the time? Well, I I think we've probably all learned all of a sudden all these new things that I'm not going into the office. I have been home for 10 months. I have had the opportunity to travel a little bit. I went to Singapore twice because that's the one country that's open where there's very little virus and they've invited me. And I'm like, yes, I'll come. You know, then I got there. I could be with my customers and employees for just a fraction of a moment. And then, boom, I'm back home. Because here in the United States, well, there's very little that I can do. And none of my offices in the United States are actually open. 
My offices are open in Japan, but I'm not allowed in. My offices are open in Australia. I just got these incredible videos of our office in Sydney, Ariana, and it is buzzing and they're so excited and they're not even wearing masks. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. They've entered the future. And I'm like, can I come? Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere for a while. Don't go anywhere. We'll jump back into this conversation in just a minute. This year of so much uncertainty and anxiety has been a hard one for sleep, especially with so many of our routines disrupted. But that's exactly why we need to prioritize our sleep now more than ever, because getting enough sleep is what allows us to be more effective at managing stressful, anxious, and disruptive times. That's why we've teamed up with Audible, the sponsor of this podcast, to create the Audible Sleep Collection. It's a series of bedtime stories, meditations, and other sound experiences from Nick Jonas, Sean Diddy Combs, Gabby Bernstein, Sarah Oster, and many more to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up fully recharged and ready to take on whatever challenges the day brings you. Remember, a great day starts the night before. And stay tuned for a preview of one of my favorite Audible sleep experiences at the end of the podcast. Mark, I want to pick up on something we've been talking about. Everything you've said points to the fact that the future may in some ways look similar to life before the pandemic. Like there's going to be people back in offices, there's going to be travel, but that we actually have the opportunity to create a better future and a new consciousness if we take small steps towards that. I think that's absolutely right. There is a new consciousness and new values. I just showed you new operational values in running my company. I probably have new values within myself, new priorities, things that are more important to me than ever. I, I think one thing that's been awakening for me is the changes in the environment when the pandemic is underway. We've all seen those stories of the dolphins back in, in Venice or in San Francisco. I look out the window and I see a lot more animal life than we've had. It's amazing. And when I see those kinds of things, I kind of comes back to some of the visions that I've had around the environment. It's one of the reasons that I created One Trillion Trees, 1T.org with the World Economic Forum a couple of years ago, because I really have an urgency about sequestering 100 gigatons of carbon. This idea that if we can plant more trees, we can heal parts of our environment. It doesn't mean that we have to stop our focus on reducing emissions. That's the most important thing we can do. But the second thing is we must sequester many of the carbon elements that are out there. And we can do that through planting trees. That's one of the reasons why I've been excited about creating this organization, Friends of Ocean Action, because I want to create a healthier ocean. I still see a lot of plastic in the ocean. World Economic Forum has said by 2050, there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish. Those things have gotten more amplified for me than ever before during this pandemic. So changes to how I look at my company? Absolutely. Changes to how I'm looking at the world? Absolutely. Changes to how I'm looking at myself? Absolutely. And all of those things are kind of coming to fruition now. 
you reminded me of the last conversation we had in Davos. You talked about the connection between environmental sustainability and personal sustainability. In fact, we came up with a little phrase that we haven't really succeeded in getting out of the world, that burned out people will keep burning up the planet. Mm. Because when you're operating from survival, when you're in a fight or flight mode, running on empty, it's harder to care. It's harder to care for the environment. It's harder to care for your fellow citizens. So there's a real connection here with what you are doing in terms of meditation, recharging, taking care of ourselves, and what we are doing for the planet. How can we make that connection more clear so that everything you are doing about the trees and the oceans and emissions can have more buy-in from the public? We have to just do it. We had an environmental conference in San Francisco and we had these amazing people come in from all over the world. And I was having lunch with an incredible person that both of us know, Jane Goodall. And I was going through my list of things that I was doing for the oceans and how I, excited I was about my ocean initiative and Friends of Ocean Action and different things for the ocean. She looks squarely in my eyes and she said, now, what are you doing for the forest? <laughs> and it was like, you know, it's a lightning bolt going off inside me. I didn't have a good answer. I'm like, well, I need to think about this. And from that, the One Trillion Trees initiative emerged and so many other things that I've become so excited about and interested and that I didn't realize that we had deforested half the trees on the planet, but we have gone from six trillion trees to three trillion trees. I hadn't realized that each trillion tree sequesters 200 gigatons of carbon. And as we got rid of those three trillion trees, we probably released a massive amount of carbon into the atmosphere, which is probably one of our key issues that we're dealing with and that we have to look at not only technology solutions, but also we must look at nature-based solutions. And that was really the catalyst for all of these amazing things. So I pay attention to how I feel inside when somebody asks me a question and all of a sudden I get that, oh, wait a minute, I'm missing that. And that's a meditative moment where you can sit back and say, well, I really need to listen more deeply. That's a blind spot I have. I need to look at that part of myself and also the part of the world, how it is inside me and also how it is outside of me. You talk a lot about these moments of breathing before a meeting, closing your eyes when your team knows that you are not zoning out or sleeping, but collecting yourself to be able to come up with your best ideas and be fully present. You talk about this small moment in the conversation with Jane Goodall that led to insights and action. And you talk about the small meditative moments. And actually, one of the things that makes me most optimistic about the changes in consciousness and in working and in living that we are going through is the latest neuroscientific finding that tells us that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Mm. I find this an incredibly optimistic finding because often when I talk to people about the need to meditate or sleep or move or work out, I get the Ariana, you know, that's all very well, but I don't have time. But when I tell people, do you have 60 seconds a few times a day? I get a very different response. So we built this feature that we call reset, which is literally 60 seconds. 
It comes preloaded in our app, 60 seconds to breathe, 60 seconds to stretch, 60 seconds to remember what you're grateful for, but also 60 seconds to bring together all your joy triggers. Like you could have pictures of your kids and lean and your favorite quotes and music and the dolphins and a breathing pacer. And in 60 seconds, isn't it kind of amazing that you can move from your sympathetic nervous system where you maybe are in a fight or flight mode to your parasympathetic nervous system where you can have peace and centeredness and be kind of in the eye of the hurricane. I know you experience that a lot. So... Isn't it kind of amazingly optimistic to think that this is available to all of us? Well, I think we can look at the world's religions in many ways as a guide to that thought. We can find some of the great prayers and notice that those prayers are actually relatively small. They're quick, they're fast, and they do reset. So there's tools that we can use, like you're saying, anchors, and we can reboot ourselves rapidly. I think this is such a key insight that you're having. And I'm so glad that you're focused on this because we can quickly come back and remember, you know, some of those key things that it's in giving that we receive. Yes. And the reason that we can come back so quickly is because we all have that place of wisdom, peace, and strength in us. It's our human birthright, and we often forget it. Thank you so much, Mark, for helping us remember for being such an incredible leader, friend, and trailblazer in every aspect of your life. Thank you. Thank you, Ariane. It's great to be with you. And before we wrap up, I'd like to leave you with a micro step inspired by my conversation with Mark about starting each morning with quiet and meditation. And even if you're not ready for meditation yet, An easy micro step is to simply avoid reaching for your phone right when you wake up. Instead of scrolling through your email, which can immediately bring on the stresses of the day, take just one minute, 60 seconds, to breathe and set your intention for the day. Starting your day with this one small micro step will affect the rest of your day. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us next time on What I've Learned. We all need help sometimes saying goodbye to the day and allowing ourselves to drift off to sleep. That's why Thrive Global has teamed up with Audible to create the Audible Sleep Collection, a series of guided meditations and stories from Nick Jonas, Sean Diddy Combs, and many others, including Kiki Palmer, who we are about to hear from now. The stories have no beginning, middle, or end, so you won't stay up to hear what happens next. In a bedtime story called The Story of the Ojibwe Dreamcatcher, Kiki shares the Ojibwe story of the Dreamcatcher and how its message of our connection to the natural world is still present with us today. Hello. Tonight, I'm going to share with you the story of the Ojibwe Dreamcatcher. But before I begin, take a moment to unwind and get comfortable. Close your eyes and slowly take a few deep breaths. With each exhale, let the trials of the day fade away. Continue inhaling and exhaling until you feel completely relaxed.
When an Ojibwe baby is born, a gift that is traditional in many families and communities is a dream catcher. The intricate web within a circle that is placed near where the baby will sleep. Dream catchers have their origin with the Ojibwe, a large tribal group of extended families and clans who live in northern woodlands, a boreal homeland above and below the border between the United States and Canada. If you are not asleep yet and want to hear this sleep track in its entirety, go to audible.com slash thrive to start your free trial tonight.